You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? Y'all ready? Y'all excited? And let, let me just say this, that here at Impact Church, right, like, I may be the lead pastor, but I am not the lead teacher or the lead preacher. The Holy Spirit is the lead teacher and the lead preacher here. So we're going to expect him to move in this place this morning as he already is doing. We're going to continue on in our Colossians series. And I just want to give you a recap for those of you who have not made it. This is week four. In week one of this series, we got to really open up this letter and see that this was a letter written to a young church by the Apostle Paul. And who remembers where Paul was when he wrote this letter? Jail, that's right, he was in prison. So Paul is in prison. He had raised up a church planter. This church planter planted this church, so Paul didn't uh, directly plant this church, but he knew about this church, he cared about this church, and he prayed for this church. And in week one of this series, I got to share my heart with you guys and the prayers that I pray over each and every one of you. And then in week two, we got to see that Jesus really is over everything, that he's before all things, he's in all things, and he is over and above all things. And then last week was Easter Sunday, and we got to see that Jesus has forgiven all of our sin by nailing it to the cross. And then when he defeated death on the third day, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities of this world, meaning that the eternal condemnation that the enemy has for you is no more. That we don't have to walk around feeling condemned because Scripture teaches us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as believers in Him, as followers of Jesus, there is no condemnation. The problem is we continue to put on the the label and the sign of condemnation, and we walk around in life feeling condemned. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we are fit for use. And Paul would say, hey, the gospel changes all of that. That, yeah, we're not fit for use in and of ourselves, but because Jesus has, has taken permanent residence in our life as believers, then we are now fit to be used by Him, not because of who we are, but because of who He is and what He has done for us. And that is the greatest news of all news, is that we are loved by the Creator of the universe. And because He loves us, He sent Jesus on a rescue mission to reconcile us back to Himself, man. And that excites me. And we're going to continue on here. And we're going to kind of transition to Once we have received Jesus, once we are following after Him as believers, what does a mature life look like in Jesus? And some of you, maybe you're there, right? Maybe maybe you are walking maturely, following after Jesus, and praise God for that. Some of us need some help getting there. So I'm just going to ask that you who are already there, as you polish your halos and stuff, then you can think about helping us who aren't quite there yet. But I think that instead of, instead of steps, I don't want to give you steps. We're not a church of steps and rules, right? We're a church of relationship over religion. 
We believe that the relationship with Jesus transforms us and we begin to live differently. But I do think there are some markers. There are some uh, ingredients, if you will, for a mature believer. And Paul, in the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we see six of these markers, six of these ingredients. And then I just added one that I think will help us at the very end. So we're going to talk about seven things that a mature Christian life has this morning. So we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God, we ask that you bless uh, this time together, that you speak through your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to... I want to give us these ingredients. Again, these are not steps, so these are not some sort of order. Number one is the most important, and it is in order. It is the top. It is number one, and it is the gospel. It is the gospel itself. Paul says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, and then in verse 3 he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what Paul's saying. You can't be a mature believer if you're not a believer. Right, That it all starts with having a relationship with Jesus. That we, we try to be good people, and if we try to be good people without Jesus, then we're not good people, we're bad people. Because in and of ourselves, we can't be good. And I know that that may be some news to some of you, because you think you're a pretty good person, and that, man, that's cool and all, but without Jesus, like you're not, and I'm not. We need Him. That's the point of the Gospel. That's the point of Jesus coming on a rescue mission. If we didn't need rescued, He wouldn't have came to rescue us. But because of sin, we needed to be rescued by someone that could fulfill the, the holiness and the righteousness that we could not obtain on our own. So Jesus comes on a rescue mission for all of humanity to seek and to save those who are lost, and that is all of us. And Paul says, hey, so the first ingredient of being a mature Christian is the gospel. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. It starts there. It's identity before activity. We've said that every week in this series, and Paul hammers that home in this letter, that it's not about doing right, and then we become a follower of Jesus. It's about becoming a follower of Jesus, and then our life changes from the inside out. It's always identity before activity, and identity is where Son of God as a believer, and the activity follows that. Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, says it like this, being conformed to a pattern of religion is not the same thing as being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is, this is not a place of, of religion here. 
Because religion, as we, as we learned in this series, is one of the biggest rivals to the gospel because our human tradition becomes more important than Jesus himself. So if we, if we conform to a pattern of religion, that does nothing for us internally or eternally. It's about being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. It starts with the gospel. It starts with the relationship with Jesus. And I don't know what your passion is in life. Some of you like gardening for whatever reason. That's cool. Some of you like sports. Um, some of you, you like kids, which I really don't understand. Some of you, like you have passions in life. So one of my biggest passions is, is leadership. I love leadership. I love learning about leadership. I love helping develop new leaders. And there's a book called... Um, the, the Seven Habits of Effective Leadership, right? And it's by a man named Covey. He's one of the greatest uh, leadership coaches there is. And one of the big things in that book is he tells you to begin with the end in mind. Right? And he tells you in the book, like, hey, this is the time for you to put, put the book down. Well, here's the problem with me. I listen to books. So there is no put the book down, like, because I don't have the book. So there's these activities in the book, and I'm like, well, I'm missing this part because I'm listening to the book. And anyway, I wouldn't put the book down because I want to be able to say, oh, yeah, I read that book. I finished that book. If I put it down, I'm not going back to it. But there is an activity in this book, and he says, hey, think about your funeral. Think about what you want people to say at your funeral. Think about different areas of life. And it would be helpful if you go ahead and pick those people out beforehand that you know are going to speak really highly of you. I'm still working on it. I got like two people. I need two more. It's, it's more difficult than you think. And this is, this is what I've realized about my life is that I, I want people to say some, some pretty cool things about me, right? I don't want people to, to get up there at my funeral and be like, this dude was horrible. He was a bad friend. He was a bad husband. He was a bad father. He was a bad pastor. He was a bad leader. Like, can you imagine being at my funeral and someone coming up here and saying all those bad things? This is what I want someone to say. And it's from Acts 11.24. It says this, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And that's what I want people to say about me. That man, he loved Jesus and he loved people. And because of his walk and because of his relationship with Jesus, then a lot of people came to know who Jesus was. And number two ingredient is like this. It is begin with the end in mind. But here, here's what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that you're the end. So in the leadership book, it's about the end of your life and to begin with like the goal in mind. And Paul says, so begin with the end in mind, but not the way that you're thinking. See, when someone started to follow after Jesus or to follow any type of rabbi, any disciple, the goal for them was to be so close to that uh, rabbi that people didn't know where the rabbi ended and the disciple started. That they would be so close with them that they would be hidden in them. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 3. He says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him 
in glory. Here's what Paul's saying to begin with the end in mind. That the end should be that we're so hidden in Jesus that when people look at us, they don't know where Jesus ends and we begin. Is that the kind of follower of Jesus that you are? Are you hidden in Christ? In the Gospel of John, we see that it says to abide in Him and He will abide in us. And to abide means to stay in, to be hidden in Him. Are you hidden in Christ? Are you so rooted in Him that when people see you, they see Jesus? That's what Paul is saying here. Number three is this. The number three ingredient. This is a church word, so don't freak out. But vivification. You're like, what in the world is vivification? Like, we don't get that deep here, man. What are you doing? So this is a Latin word that means life. That's what it means. It is, it's really, so this is, this is how I remember this, is that it's the activities or environments that stir your affection for Jesus. The activities or environments that stir your affections for Jesus. Paul says this, the end of verse 1, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is what Paul says. Hey, think about life. What are the things that stir your affections for Jesus? Think about it this way. So I take my wife on dates occasionally, and the reason that I do that is to stir the affections in our relationship. If you know me, you know that I hate spending money. And when you go on dates, you have to spend money. But man, I, I want to stir the affections that, that I have for her, that she has for me. So you know what? When we go on dates, I don't care how much money we spend. If she wants to spend money on this, I'm spending money on it. Man, I'm trying to stir some affections. And I try to pick some romantic places like habaneros. Like we do some really cool stuff. So my favorite place to go, and it was our place, like when we were dating and we first got married, is California Dreaming, and she is just so tired of that, like we don't go there anymore. And to me, like I grew up in South Augusta, man, that's fancy for me, right? California Dreaming is it. And like, man, their salad is off the chain, and I don't even eat salad. But theirs is really good, and they got this four cheese ravioli, that, and we split, and these affections are being stirred. And it's, it's because of food, it's because of the company, it's because... We can look at each other and we can talk and we can laugh. And we do that to stir the affections. I love when the babysitter gets there and the kids are like, where are y'all going? Like, somewhere you're not going to be. Like, this is going to be awesome. We're not going to be home before you go to bed. You're going to bed without us. Good luck. This is great. Like, I'm taking your mama on a date. And they know, like, if it's date, they ain't going. They don't have any part of that. And it's to stir affections. Man, and it's the same way with our relationship with Jesus. We have to be in environments and we have to create activities in our life that stir those affections for Him. And we, when we think about that, we think a lot of times about spiritual disciplines, right? We think about um, quiet time. We think about prayer. We think about worship. We think about all these different things. And these are activities and these are environments that stir our affection for him. The question is this, what are you doing to stir your affections for the Lord? For me, man, like I'm a big time worship guy. 
Like, I love worship music. It's really all I listen to. Um, and so people don't like riding with me because it's either like a podcast or it's worship music. Like, that's it for me. But worship stirs my affection for the Lord. It's just, it's one of those things that when I'm, when I'm driving, when I'm, wherever I'm going, if I'm listening to it, man, I start singing like I am leading worship at Impact Church. And thank God I don't lead worship at Impact Church. God has blessed us with talented people to do that, and I am not one of them. But I lead worship in my car, and I do, and I do jam up. I'm going to record it for y'all one day and let y'all hear how good it is. Being here is a good start, man. This is an environment that stirs your affection for the Lord. That's why it's so important to, to meet together as believers because it stirs our affection for the Lord. That's why we talk about groups so much is because being with other believers who are, who are trying to take steps of faith together, man, it stirs our affection for the Lord. Some of you are, are hunters, and, and I can just imagine being in the woods before the sun comes up and just seeing the beauty of God's creation and how that would stir up your affections for the Lord. Now, what are you doing to stir those affections? See, the point isn't the step that you take. The point is who you're following after. We talk about your next step here all the time. We have a next step center in the back where you can you can look through what next steps are. Maybe it's baptism, maybe it's to join a group, maybe it's to serve, maybe it's to give financially for the first time. Whatever it is for you, right, there's a next step. But the next step isn't the important part. The important part is who you're following after with that next step. And we're following after Jesus. And the more we follow Him, the more we become hidden in Him. Now, what are you doing to stir your affections for the Lord? So we have the gospel, we have begin with the end in mind, we have vivification, and then the, the fourth thing is this, and it's another church word, but mortification. So if vivification is to live, or life, then mortification is to murder or to kill. In verse 5, we see that Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So, so Paul is saying, hey, so here's some sexual sin, and he groups it together, and he says, all sexual sin, put it to death, it's bad. And then in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, keep your mouth shut, and keep your pants up. Pretty much is what he's saying. And people say the Bible is out of date. It's not out of date. This is what Paul's saying is that you have to put to death the sin that is trying to kill you. We have to kill the sin that is trying to kill us. But here's the problem. Is that the way that I grew up in church is that we focus so much on the sin and not doing it. that There, there was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't manage it at all. And Paul says, hey, the order matters here that we set our minds on life and then because we're so hidden in Jesus, then the sin begins to be killed. So what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to think, man, here's all this sin in my life and I need to kill it. 
and your eyes are focused on the sin and Jesus is somewhere over here and you're never focusing on Him. The order matters. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look in His face and then the things of this world grow strangely dim. It doesn't work the other way around. It starts with us looking at Him. It starts with us following Him. It starts with us setting our mind on Him. And because we're hidden in Him, because we're following after Him, because our affections are being stirred up for Him, then the sin that is trying to kill us, we can kill not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times I think that we just we don't take sin seriously anymore. And when I grew up, man, we took sin seriously. Like, sin was a big deal. The problem was, that's all we focused on. And now I think it's, we don't really think sin is a big deal. But here's, here's how big a deal sin is, that it nailed Jesus to the cross. Like, He came on a rescue mission because of sin. And we know that the enemy is he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. If you knew that when you walked out of this building today that there's a lion waiting for you, that he's just prowling around out there, you would stick your head out that door and say, hey, did anybody see a lion? Because he's here for me. Like he's coming to get me. You would live life differently. That is sin in your life. That it is there and it is, it is trying to take you out. It's not trying to play with you. It's not trying to, to be nice and friends with you. No, it is trying to destroy you. Sin will still kill and destroy. See, the number one way to kill sin is to re replace it with the love of Jesus. See, there's always something here. There's always an affection that we have. And the only way to get rid of one affection is to replace it with another. So the, the best way to, to get rid of sin in your life is to replace it with Jesus. That's why we look at Him first, and then the things of earth grow strangely dim. So the question is, what in your life is shrinking your love for Jesus? What in your life is, is shrinking your love for Jesus? Maybe it's a sin in your life. Maybe it's just stuff. Maybe you just love stuff so much it's shrinking your love and your affection for Jesus. What is it? The fifth ingredient is this. It's confession. See, it's easy to preach all this, right? It's hard to live it. And all confession is, is admitting that we need Jesus. That, that we can't do it on our own. How many of you would agree that the Christian life is, is hard? Let's re yeah, okay. Here's, here's the deal. It's not hard. It's impossible. Like, that's why we need Jesus. That is the point of Jesus. That without Him, there, we can't do anything at all. It's not just that the Christian life is hard. It's that it's impossible, which is the reason Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. And confession 
It's just saying, Jesus, we need your help. We need you. Paul says in verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. And then the beginning of verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Confession is saying, hey, I'm not just a mistaker in need of a life coach. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Confession is saying that, man, I just don't have it all together. Confession is saying that I need Jesus to show up because I can't do it. Confession is, yeah, I'm struggling with this and I need Him to do for me what I could not do for myself. Man, praise God that this isn't a church where you have to, to fake it. Like, this is a, a place where we're, we all come in with our imperfections, with our struggles, with our sin, with life happening all around us. This is an authentic place to be. We don't have to fake it, and I don't want you to fake it, because the fake you is doing just fine. It's the real you that's struggling. But we have a real God who sent His real Son to save real people from real sin. So there's no point in being fake. right? We're going to admit that we're imperfect people in this place, and we're engaging with a God who is perfect and holy and righteous. And because of Him, then we too can be holy and perfect and righteous. Because God sees His Son. But here's the problem. The problem is that it can't stop with confession. Like It just can't stop there. I think churches are pretty good about confession. Like Let's confess. Fantastic. Number six is this, repentance. And we see in Scripture that Repentance is always paired with confession. That is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. It's always paired together. So if confession, if confession is admitting we need the cross, repentance is turning our eyes upon the cross. It's really easy to say, man, I need it. It's a lot harder to, to turn and to say, man, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus. When's the last time that you had some confession and some repentance in your life? Now, what I don't want you to think about or repentance is the people like on the street with the megaphone saying, turn or burn or all that stuff, right? I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think about that repentance is you're heading one direction and you're like, hey, Jesus definitely isn't over here and doesn't want me over there and I'm going to turn and I'm going to face Jesus. Confession is admitting we need the cross. Repentance is turning our eyes upon the cross. Paul says in verse 9 and 10, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed and knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul would say this, that it's not enough just to confess the sin, but we have to repent of it as well. That it's not enough just to admit that we need Jesus, but we have to turn and shift our focus toward Jesus. And this, this is what a mature believer looks like. It starts with the gospel understanding that we can't do it on our own and we need Him. 
It begins with the end in mind where we become so hidden in Christ that people don't know where He stops and we begin because we are following so close behind. It's vivification. It's, it's life. It's setting our, our minds on Him. It's focusing on Him. It's stirring up affections in our, in our heart, in our life for Him. What are you doing to stir your affections for the Lord? It's mortification. It's killing the sin by focusing on Jesus, by turning and looking at Him, and the things of world of this world will grow, grow strangely dim. Except sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't grow strangely dim, and then we confess that we need Him because we can't do it on our own. We need Him. And then the confession leads us to repentance. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I don't know how many of you follow revivals and just movements of God. I know there's a new movie out called The Jesus Movement and all this. And this is what I know from studying church history is that movements of God have nothing to do with us. That it's all Him and that He shows up when He wants to. But I do know this, that if you do research and you look at the history of revivals and movements all across the world, that it started with confession and repentance. That it started with someone saying, I need Jesus. I need Him to do for me what I can't do for myself. But they didn't stop with confession. They, they began to turn their eyes upon Jesus. The seventh ingredient, and it's the one I added. You can email me later about that, but I did add this. Repeat daily. Repeat daily. This isn't a one-time thing. If we want to be mature followers of Jesus, this is an everyday thing. Scripture teaches to take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus. You can't come to church on Sunday morning and say, man, I'm, a, I'm following really close behind Jesus and that's all you get. That's the only thing that stirs your affection for Him. It doesn't work that way. This is a good place to be on Sunday morning. But man, this can't be it. If this is it, by Monday afternoon, you need some more. For me, by Sunday night, I need some more. Like, I need these affections to continuously be stirred up for the one who loves me. I don't know how many of you have ever seen Saving Private Ryan. But yeah, we're about to use that as a sermon illustration. If you haven't seen it, it is a good movie. And I'm about to ruin it for you. But, the gist of this movie is Private Ryan, he needs to be saved, right? So someone makes a decision to go save him. So these guys go to save him. And then Tom Hanks' character, and that he, he gets him out, and he's leaning up against the Jeep. They realize he's about to die. He's, he's not going to make it, and he looks... He looks at Ryan and he says, hey, earn it. Earn it. 
And what he's not saying is that you have to earn this to be saved. Now, he's already been saved. He's saying, live a life worthy of what I have done for you. And Christianity is the only religion where the, where the verdict comes before the performance. Where we stand before God and because of the blood of Jesus, He says, not guilty. And then He adopts you into His family. And at the end of this movie, Private Ryan, is he's at the cemetery and, and he's just remembering and he's thanking and he's an old man, he's a grandpa at this point. And if, if you want to see grown men cry, then you need to watch this movie and watch the end of this movie. But he turns to his wife and he says, am I a good man? And he's not asking if he's a good man. He's asking, man, have I lived my life worthy of the saving grace that I receive? And as Christ followers, man, we're... We don't have to live a life to earn salvation. We've already received salvation. God has already done everything necessary for salvation. But Paul would say, Work, walk worthy of the gospel. And how can we do that? How can we walk and live a life worthy of the gospel? It's by remembering that the gospel is where it all begins and it is everything in between everything. The gospel is it. It's beginning with the end in mind. It's vivification. It's, it's life. It's putting our minds on things above. It's mortification. Killing the sin that is trying to kill us. It's confessing that we need Him. It's turning and repenting. And it's repeating daily. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.